Greetings to you in the wonderful name of Jesus. And I do hope you have your Bible ready because I am stoked. And we're going to study the Word of God again today together. We're actually in the final installment of our series called I'm Loving It. And it's about reading, studying, and loving your Bible. We love God. That's the first commandment that Jesus told us to keep is to love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, all of our soul, with our whole soul, will and emotion, our mind, and all of our strength. And because we love God, we love His Word. Because the Bible is the Word of God. Now, let me give you four verses out of Psalm 119. Actually, it's four passages, a total of five verses, that talk about loving the Word of God. And this is actually where I got my title for the entire series from. I was reading Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible, 176 verses, and every verse of those 176 verses, the whole chapter takes about 20 minutes to read through, so it's a really, really long chapter, the longest in the Bible, like I said, but every one of the verses, like, say, hey, I am loving it. I love the Bible. I love the Word. And whoever wrote it, uh, whether it was Ezra or some even say it was Daniel. I heard about this this week. I don't know about that. But most people think it was David, which would be also my uh, inclination to think. But it doesn't matter who wrote it, but whoever wrote this psalm, uh, is saying with every one of those sentences, every one of those verses, I am loving it. I love the Word of God. I love the Bible. I love the law of God. And basically back then it was the first five books of Moses. Basically everything God has written or said, that's what I love. In Psalm 119, 47 through 48, it says, I delight in your commands because I love them. I reach out for your commands, which I love, that I may meditate on your decrees. Verse 97, Lord, I really love your law. All day long I spend time thinking about it. Uh, actually, the NIV says meditate. I meditate on it. Psalm 119, 127, I love your commands more than gold. I love them more than pure gold. In other words, I love your word more than all riches, all treasures in this world. Psalm 119, verse 140, thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. That's King James' version. I had to throw a little King Jimmy in because I love this. Thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. Why is it so important? Or why is this so important that we love God and love Him with all of our hearts, souls, mind, and strength, and that we love His word equally as much? Because He is the word. But I want to give you my 
or one of my life verses to actually answer the question for you why I believe loving God is so important for you personally, for me personally, for every one of us believers. Loving God is so important because in Romans 8.28, like I said, one of my life verses, maybe even the life verse I have, amongst many others, obviously, I love God's word. Romans 8.28, it says, and we know. It doesn't say we guess or we hope or we, you know, uh, we just think. No, we do know this, that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So it's not even for those who hope in God or believe in God, which is obviously very important because there remaineth faith, hope, and love, like Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13, and the greatest of these is love, faith, hope, and love, but actually love is the highest. And I remember having a conversation with a man who is now 91 years old. He is going to be 91 actually next year, but he just turned 90 years old a few months ago. And I had a conversation with this man. I still have contact every once in a while. He's a follower of Jesus for more than 50, 55 years. And this was about 10, 12 years ago. He said, Carl Michael, you know, I have walked with Jesus and I've believed uh, in Jesus. I've believed God, you know, for all these decades. But it, it took me 20 to 25 years of my faith walk to come to a realization that I, I believe in him, but I questioned my love for him. Do I really love God with all my heart, all my mind, all my soul, all my strength? And on that day, he said he realized that he hadn't. He believed. He knew he was saved. He knew he was born into the family of God, born again. Like Jesus said, we had to, trusting Christ for eternal life. But he didn't have that real intimate love for his creator. And from that moment on, he asked God to create this love for him. And then 1 John 4, 19, he said, reads like this, we love him because he first loved us, realizing how much he loves us results in us loving him back. This is so important. We have to first get a deep understanding of God's love for us. And then our answer, our natural response will be that we love him Back. This is so key that we love him with all of our hearts because all things work together for them who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, let's take this apart. Now, who has the security or the promise that everything that's going to happen, whether it happened in the past, good, bad, and ugly, or in the future, good, bad, and ugly, or right now, who has the promise, the, the security that all things work together for good, those who love God. So that is very important to me. So the question I ask myself, and I ask you as well, do you love God? Do you love Jesus? Do you really love him? And be honest with yourself. Don't lie to yourself. Why do you love him or why do you not love him? And here's the good news, and I love this. You can. 
Yes, you can. If you want to, and I really believe that you do want to because I believe God has put this this hole into our heart. It's a, it's a vacuum that only can be filled by Him. I believe God made you that way that you want to be loved and want to love. See, one of the greatest joys I have in life is loving God. And it's easy to love back when we feel loved, when we know we are loved. And we can know that God loves us. He loves you. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, that includes you and me, would believe in him, would not perish, but have everlasting life. He loves us. He is for us. Who can be against us? Romans 8.31 says. So it's, it's awesome. See, when I, the more I feel my wife's love towards me, the easier it is for me to love her back. When I feel like she doesn't love me so much, it's hard for me to love back as well. It's, it's awesome to have the revelation, the truth, that God loves me, God loves you, and we can love him back because he first loved us. That's the good news. And so we love God with all of our heart, mind, and strength, and our soul, and we love the Word of God because we love everything he said, and this is God's love letter to us people today. It's also history. It also has things that are warnings in it. But generally, God gave us this book because he loves us and he wants our lives to change. And change they will if we apply ourselves to it. Now, I want to encourage you to go back and, and watch the first six messages if this is your first time with me today or or if you want to uh, re revisit the, the content that we've gone through, go to our website, wazichurch.tv. You'll have the English section that you can go to with all the English sermons. Obviously, you have the German sermons as well, if you understand German. But you have the English area now that's new. And uh, just go there and revisit that content. Watch those videos again. And, uh, but what I do want to repeat or review is the three questions that we have asked, because today we're going to the third question, which is, what am I doing with it? Question number one, what do I see? When I read the Bible text, what do I see? That's observation. Now, the second question is, what does it mean? That is the interpretation. Uh, what does it mean? But if we stop there, if we see the text and understand the text, we know what it means, but we stop there, We've missed the entire point because the third question is, what am I doing, it, doing with it personally? What am I personally doing with what I'm seeing, with what I'm understanding? How am I applying it? So we have the application of the Word of God. Now, how important is personal application? Do you agree with me? It should make a difference. The Word of God should make a difference in your life, in my life, and it should make a difference in daily living. Now, I heard about this story uh, about an agnostic university professor, and I'm going to read you this story, who visited the Fiji Islands. It was a business trip for him, and he was conversing with uh, one of the the, um, the heads, the leaders of this tribe. It was a modern tribe. It was more civilized than he expected. 
And after finding out a little bit about this tribe, he said to the chief of the tribe, you are a great leader, but it's a shame that you have fallen for these Christian missionaries that are trying to mislead you and tell you a fairy tale. They just want your money. Nobody believes the Bible really anymore. Nobody wants to hear that story again about this Jesus Christ who supposedly died for the sins of the whole world. I'm really sorry, the agnostic university professor said, that uh, you are believing this fairy tale and you just accepted it like that. Another old man, another old leader from the tribe uh, turned to the professor and said this, do you see that big rock over there? That's where we used to uh, break the heads. We crushed the heads of our victims. Uh, and do you see that, that the furnace over there? That's where we always roasted the bodies of our enemies before we ate them. <laughs> and he said, without these good, God-fearing Christian missionaries and without the love of our Lord Jesus Christ that changed us from cannibals to Jesus followers to Christians, you, professor, would never ever leave this island alive again. You should rather be grateful, thankful to our Lord and Savior for the gospel. Without him, without Jesus, and without the Bible, you would, would be our supper tonight. <laughs> uh, I think that agnostic professor was very happy and excited that these uh, uh, former cannibals, this former cannibal tribe, uh, did not just hear the Word of God, understand the Word of God, but actually applied it personally to their lives, especially at mealtimes. <laughs> so actually applying the Bible makes a difference between life and death, especially for this university professor that was agnostic because these cannibals that became Christians began to apply what the Word of God says and they quit eating, killing and eating human beings. That is awesome. See, if we don't apply the Bible, we are missing the entire point. Uh, there's one sentence as a pastor now of you know over 25 years, as one sentence I've heard over and over again, well, not over and over, but I've heard it a few times in my career as a pastor, when somebody who was really, really uh, passionate and, and you know zealous, but a little misguided in, in their uh, in their zeal said, I want the meat of the word. You know, I want the meat. I need to find a church where they preach the meat of the word, where I get the meat of the word. Um, I've heard that a few times. And I want to just tell you what Jesus says about this. In John 4:34, he says, Jesus saith unto them, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Jesus said to them, my meat is to do the will of the one who sent me and to finish his work. So doing the will of the Father, not just hearing, not just understanding, but applying, that is what the meat 
of the Word of God is. That's where really the growth happens. That's when we know we have revelation because we're not just listening and, and seeing and understanding. We are living it. The meat is in the street. Maybe you've heard that before, but it's true that doing the will of God is the meat of the Word of God. That leads me to John 13, the Gospel of John 13. We're going to read the verses 12 through 17. This is, uh, you know, the, the night before Jesus was taken captive and, and then to be crucified and, and, and before he rose again on the third day. He was spending time with his disciples, with his first 12 followers, and he taught them a practical lesson. You know the story by washing uh, their feet. And he said, it says here, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for, what is, for that is what I am. Now that, that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. If you do them, you'll be blessed. Now, here again we have it, that doing what Jesus says, doing what the Word says is true spirituality, is true uh, maturity, is the true meat of God. Now, before we go on Bible interpretation, does this mean for us Christians today that whoever we get in contact with, we take their socks off and then you know, get some water and wash their feet? Of course not. I mean, there is groups of Christians who practice that, and if it's done in the right spirit, I heard it's a wonderful experience, a humbling experience. I really like that a lot, actually. Uh, I've never done it in our church. We might do it next, <laughs> next Easter season. Who knows? But uh, uh, that's not the point here. The point is that we should serve one another. Back then, they, they, they wore sandals. I don't think they had socks on. And there was dust on their feet. And before they entered the house, you know, their feet were washed there were, you know, and it was a, a sign of humility and service, and it's a great thing. And it's still a great thing if we do that today from the right heart. But the, the larger context is, or the larger interpretation is, that we should serve one another. And that makes us true followers of Jesus that not only see, not only understand, but who apply the Word of God. Now, at the end of the Sermon of the Mount, which is Matthew 5, 6, and 7, after Jesus gave all kinds of very important truths and principles about the kingdom of God and about living a godly life, he said, well, there's two guys who built a house, and the first guy built his house upon solid rock, and... Uh, then the, the rain came, the, the thunder came, the, the waves beat upon that house, and it did not fall because it was built upon the rock. And he said, that's the person who hears my word and does it. 
He's like the man who builds, or the woman who builds his house on solid rock. No matter what comes, it will stand. That symbolizes a life that is built on the rock. He hears it and does it. He hears it, she hears it, she applies it to her life. And the other guy built a house and he built upon sand, upon not on rock, but on, 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 on a bad foundation. The same rain came, the same thunder, the same waves beat upon the house. The house fell and its fall was great. Now, and that's the person who hears the word of God, who may even underline and underscore and highlight the Bible, but who does not do it. It does not make a difference in their lives because it's not applied to their lives. And that's very, very important. Now, I've heard of of houses, even like in California or other parts of the world, that were built very close to the ocean. And they actually slide into the ocean because the the, the underground is soft, okay? So it's important that we build upon the rock. And we will never go cheap on the foundation. We don't scrimp on the foundation. We may do that on carpet or on other small other things in the house, but never do we want to go cheap or save unnecessarily uh, on the foundation. Now, there's two extremes I've seen. Number one is there's people who are addicted to Bible knowledge, and there's other people who only want to feel and experience God. Now, theological knowledge only leads to pride and self-righteousness. Now, that's where the Pharisees come into play that Jesus had to contend with all the time. But if you only go for the feel and the experience, you have a strange and a flaky, we call them flaky, Christians. So uh, we need both. We don't want to just have Bible knowledge. We want to have an encounter. We want to have an, a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the deciding question is, are you changing? The Bible rightly read and rightly studied will change your life. Are you changing? Is it changing you? Do you know God better, more intimately? Do you trust him more? Because in 1 Corinthians 8, 1, it says, knowledge makes people proud, but love builds them up. So it's important that we have a good combination between Bible study and a living encounter with the author who happens to be the creator of heaven and earth. He wrote the book and he made the world. It's in, he made the world, he wrote the book, he rose from the dead, and then it was written down, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Now let me give you a few prerequisites for being able to apply the Bible. There is some prerequisites that have to be met, and I give you three. They're very important. Number one, I must belong to him. I must be his. This is very important because the Bible teaches us that separated from Christ, we are dead and blind. It gives both of those me metaphors, like in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, it says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Then it says, but God, who's rich in mercy, who's rich in love and grace, saved us. So we were dead, separated from God. See, death is separation. Death is not when your body falls over. That's physical death, but death actually means 
separation. Physical death would be separation from the spirit and the body, the soul and the body. But spiritual death is being separated from God. And we were all separated before we knew Christ and were born again, made alive, because that's what eternal life is. Eternal life doesn't begin when we die and go to heaven or, or, or die and be with Jesus. Uh, eternal life begins the moment life comes into us. First John 5, 11 through 12, it says, He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son, Jesus the Son, has, does not have life. So, and we are blind. The world is blind, blinded by the, the God of this world, which is uh, Satan. He's the God of the world system. We are blind and they cannot see. And we cannot, and here's very important, we cannot convince, we cannot talk better, we cannot talk somebody into believing into to Christ. See, if we can talk somebody into it, then somebody else might, who's better with words than us, could talk them out of it. It's a true change in the heart that has to take place, which God has to do uh, in his great love and sovereignty. So it's very important that we realize we have to be his, and you can make that decision today if you don't belong to him. But that's the first step, being born again, being saved. Like in Romans 10, it says, believing in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead and confessing Jesus as Lord. Romans 10, verses 9 and 10 and also verse 13. That's a very important. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So I must be his. Number two, I must be hungry. See, I can be his. I can belong to him, but maybe I'm not hungry anymore. But I have to be hungry for Jesus. In First Peter 2, it says, verses 2 and 3, like newborn, like newborn infants, Long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. We long for the spiritual milk, the Word of God, that we may grow in our salvation and, and, and the salvation that belongs to us manifests more and more. If you do not have this appetite, if you know you belong to him, but you still don't have this appetite, ask God for it and pray and begin to worship him. It says in Psalm 22, verses 3 or 4, I believe it says that God lives where people worship him. And ask him for this appetite. Ask him for this hunger, this thirst. And hey, like Jesus said to the Ephesians in Revelation 2, uh, you know, return to your first love. It's, you know... Oh, I don't, I don't love him anymore. Sometimes a wife says to me or the husband says about it, I don't love her anymore. I mean, we're going to get divorced. That's not a reason for divorce. If you loved him before, you can fall in love again. Absolutely. If it's just falling out of love or drifting apart, that can be changed by doing what we used to do, by returning to the first works, the works of love. We can fall back in love. You can feel you can have feelings again for somebody you have no feelings for right now if you do the first works, the love works again. So pray and worship. Spend time with him, her, if it's a person. But in this case, God, spend time with him. The more you read it the right way, the Bible, and the more you spend time with him, the more you want, the more hungry, the more appetite comes into your life. So I must belong to him. I must be hungry. And I must be humble. 
In Psalm 119, 18, it says, Open my eyes so that I can see the wonderful truth in your law, in your word. I want to see. Open my eyes. I'm blind, God. Please help me to see. Help me to see your truth. I beg you. I ask you. Or like Samuel said as a young boy in 1 Samuel 3:10b, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Don't be a know-it-all. Don't be a Bible lec- uh, dictionary or a lexicon. That's not what really is attractive or even desirable. It's desirable to be humble and to love God, to love His Word, to grow in His Word. And that's being done by belonging to Him, by being hungry, and by being humble. Now let's go to the final heading for today, practical application of God's Word. Let me give you four things to apply, and then then we're done for today. Number one, believe God's declared truth. Now if you read it, and you see it, and you understand it, believe it. Just trust it. Say, this is your word. I believe it. That settles it. And God said it. That settles it. I trust the word of God. Uh, it says to, to that, that God made heaven and earth, that uh, the fool said in his heart, there is no God. Like it says in Psalm 14 and in Psalm 53, twice it says, the fool says there is no God. Say, I believe that. And I'm no fool. Believe the declared truth. Believe that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. Believe. Don't say, oh, I made mistakes. No, you have sinned. I have sinned. Believe that Jesus came to die for sinners. Believe the truth. Just take it as the truth, the the, the declared truth. Believe it. God says this. I believe it. Number two. Obey specific orders. Obey the specific orders. If you're not born again yet, Jesus says it to Nicodemus in chapter 3 of John, you must be born again. Well, obey that order. It's not a suggestion. It's not advice. It's a command. You must be born again. How do you do that? By believing in Christ. He answers that question to Nicodemus in John 3.16. It's the same chapter. It's the same context. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's the new birth. You trust him. He comes inside of you by his spirit, by his spirit, and you are made new. You must be born again. You know, obey. It says repent. Obey. What does repent mean? Metanoia, turning around, changing your mind, changing your thinking fundamentally. Not just, oh, I think different now. Hey, when you change your mind, you change your direction. 180 degrees. So obey it. Repent. Forgive. Well, that's a clear order. Forgive. Do it. It's not advice, but it's commands. Now, I want to read a story real quick to illustrate what I'm talking about. That's the, the rich young ruler. It's in Matthew 19, verses 16 through 23 it says just then a man came up to jesus and asked teacher what good thing must i do to get eternal life why do you ask me about what is good now before i read on don't forget this was before jesus died and rose again this was still under the old covenant why do you ask me about what is good jesus replied there's only one who is good if you which is god he means If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. 
Which ones? He inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and your mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these have I kept. Whoa, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if he's, he's right here, but uh, he's saying, all these I have kept. The young man said, maybe he was a little self-righteous too, not just rich. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. He was very rich. Then Jesus said to his disciples, truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, you say, well, thank God I am... Uh, this is not for me because I am I'm broke. I'm so broke, uh, you know, off to work I go. <laughs> How does it go? Uh, whatever. You're so broke, you know, you just, this is not for me. But I'm telling you, this passage is for everybody. And what, what if you're rich? Does it mean you have to sell everything? That's not what this text is saying. But Jesus detected this man's idol. What blocked him? His possessions blocked him. Jesus saw his idol. Are you, if you're rich, are you willing to give it away? Are you willing to say, God, it's all yours? Most likely, you don't have to give it all away, but in case God wants it all, it's all his anyway. So it's an idol that was the problem here. Something blocked him. What idol do you have? It could be a relationship that's blocking you. It could be a hobby that's blocking you. It could be any idol, anything that's at the place of God in your life. What idol do you have to throw out? That's what this is teaching. And that's how you apply it to your situation. So obey and, you know, uh, obey the specific orders. Number three, learn from the examples. I mean the biblical examples. The Bible is full of examples, good ones and bad ones. Some that are a good example for us, some are a warning for us. Read Hebrews 11, the hall of faith. And then in, in chapter 12, it says we have a great cloud of witnesses that are examples that went ahead of us. There's some great examples in the Bible. There's also some bad examples. In 1 Corinthians 10, 11, it says, these things happened to them meaning the people in the Old Covenant, as examples and were written down as warnings for us. This is, this is the people who died in the wilderness as Moses led them out of Egypt into the Promised Land or towards the Promised Land. They were just, you know, doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And, 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 and it says in 1 Corinthians 10 what these things were. But they were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. There's positive examples. There is negative examples. And I love the Bible because it tells us the truth about its heroes and uh, anti-heroes. <laughs> it tells us the truth. It doesn't make anything look better than it is. It just tells us how it is. So learn from the examples. Learn from their failures and their successes. And number four, my final point, make God's promises your own. The promises and the warnings. Take it personal. Make it personal. What's God promising me? Is it a conditional promise? Is it an unconditional promise? 
uh, give and it shall be given to you as a conditional promise. Uh, for example, um, it, 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 eternal life is a is a, the only condition is to believe in Jesus and to to turn to Him, to trust Him. Um, so make it personal. Uh, ask yourself personal questions like, what does all of that have to do with me today, with my life today, with my family, with my work, with my country? Another question, how will I implement it? And how should I pray after reading or studying this text? Now, the, the rich young ruler text, what does that mean to me today? How will I implement it? You know, where's my idols? And how will I pray now about my life after reading this. Now, this is so incredible because the Word of God will change you. God's Word does not return void. It will change you if you read it, study it, understand it, and apply it. You just trust God. I want to close with something that I found that I really like, a, a text somebody written. Um, who, I don't know who it is, but... Whoever he or she is, it's incredible. Now listen careful. This book, it's, it's, it's a little word about the Bible. This book is the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy. Its precepts are binding. Its history is true. Its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map. It is the pilgrim's staff. It is the pilot's compass. It's the soldier's sword and the Christian character, the Christian's character. Here is paradise restored, heaven opened, the gates of hell defeated. Christ is its grand subject, our good, its design, and the glory of God its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly. Read it frequently. Read it prayerfully. It is a mine of wealth, a paradise of glory, and a river of pleasure. Follow its precepts, and it will lead you to Calvary, to the empty tomb, to a resurrected Christ and life in Christ. Yes, to the glory itself for eternity. Isn't that wonderful? It's so awesome. There's no other book like it. It changes lives. If you read it, if you understand it, and if you apply it, pray for insight as you read it, revelation. Pray that God would open your, his word to you. Sometimes somebody comes to me and says, you know, they have a problem with a teenager, a son, a daughter, maybe a husband, a wife. And they ask me, Pastor, can't you do something? And what they're meaning is, hey, you may have a better connection to the to the Heavenly Father than, than they do. And and, uh, and I'm like, hey, I can talk to them. I can pray for them. But all I have is I only have Jesus and I only have the Bible, just like you. I think it's time that you, that we all, everyone takes their position and takes the promised land for themselves. Not always 
you know, depending on the pastor or more spiritual people, there is no such thing. We all have the same Jesus. We all have the same word. I can't do anything special. I don't have a special button to push. All I have is Jesus. All I have is the Bible. And that's more enough. It will not return void. If you love God, if you love his word, fear will, will go away because perfect love casts out all fear. Become a truly devoted follower of Christ, a student of the word. It's time to take your place and position in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for, for, for the person watching right now. I thank you for her and him. And I pray that you develop a strong hunger and desire for your word, a humility, and, and just an insight into your word as they study it, study it prayerfully and humbly. If anyone's watching that does not know you yet personally, I pray right now that they would be drawn to you, Jesus, and give their life to you. If that's you, please pray this with me. Dear Heavenly Father, pray it with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you as I am, a sinner in need of a Savior. Jesus, I believe in you. You died for my sins. You were buried and you rose again out of that grave. You conquered death, hell, and the grave. You are alive. Live in me. I, I receive your life and I give you mine. Thank you for making me brand new. In Jesus' name. God bless you. I love you. See you next week.